Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So you may be seated. We're uh, continuing our series through the three Johns, and we are in 2 John this week. And if you have never read 2 John, we will read basically the whole book because it's one chapter. And I believe it's the only book in the Bible addressed to a lady. How do you like that, ladies? I like it. Yeah, come on, come on. So um, to uh, the elder, which isn't like multiple elders, it's the elder. Uh, So this is John writing, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Now I'm going to disappoint you with what some many most commentaries believe is that he's not writing a lady, he's writing the church. And he could be writing a lady. I just want to say that. This could be a letter to a lady. But look what the commentators say. They say in the Old Testament, um, Israel was referred to as a bride, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, right? And in 1 Peter, he says the church in Rome is she who is in Babylon. Isn't that interesting? He calls the church a she. And at the end of the letter, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. So it could be there's this lady and he's writing and the sister is with him, right? Or it could be this church here that I'm writing from also greets you. And then one other thing, the word church, like in English, we don't really have masculine and feminine nouns. Well, he and she, but, but the noun for church, assembly or church is feminine. It's feminine. The church is feminine, right? We are the bride of Christ. So many of the commentators believe that he's writing to the whole church. And even if he's only writing to the lady, he is writing to the church at her house, right? Because churches didn't, you know, they met in homes at that time. And so it goes to the elder, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. Did you notice how many times truth is there? How many times? Four. He's got something on his mind, doesn't he? Like truth is big. Why is truth so big for him? Well, truth, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father but through me. But I think there's something going on here, and I think it has to do with um, this same problem he was addressing in 1 John, and that's there are people who have rejected the divinity of Christ. So what they think is Jesus became like the Messiah at baptism, right? So somehow God came upon Jesus, and then before he died on the cross, God left him. Because how can God die? That's truly a, a, a mystery. Um, but, but John would say, no, no, no. Jesus is the theanthropos. He's the God-man. He's fully God and fully man from birth through death, resurrection. But people were saying different things. And they're not speaking the truth. Because look what he says. Who is the liar? 
Who else but the person who rejects Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ? The person who rejects the Father and the Son is the Antichrist, right? So he's like the ones who are denying this aren't walking in truth, they're liars, right? And, and the, the, John wrote the Gospel of John, and he said that Satan is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies, and wouldn't it be the, the thing of the devil to mess with who Jesus is? Just twist it a little bit. You know, he's not really the son of God come in flesh, right, to die for the sins of the world. No, he, he and, they, and they just start messing with who Jesus is. Now, truth is so important to John. He wants us to get how we think about ourselves right. So I think these people were coming in there and they were probably saying that they're not sinners, right? And John goes, hey, if you say you have no sin, you deceive, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he's like, you guys have truth. Why? You're, you're willing to say you're a sinner. He says, and if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we've not sinned, who's the liar now? God is. Because God says all have sinned and fall short of his glory. See, so truth is so important to him, he wants the whole church to admit and go, you know what? To walk in truth is also to say the same thing about me that God says, and it's I'm a sinner, right? And yet I'm still saved by grace. Um, the other, uh, we had a marriage weekend last weekend. It was a lot of fun. There were 10 couples, and it was in Amish country. And I, I get there on Friday night, and there isn't, heat in the room. I shouldn't say that. It's set at like 60. <laughs> and after a while, our, I didn't, I, you know, I noticed it and I'm like, well, it's kind of chilly, but our body heat started heating it up, you know, got up to around 68 and, you know, you fill the room with couples and we heat it up. Um, and the next morning we come in and it's not heated again. I mean, it's heated to 60. And, and I'm like, you know, we rented this room. They could heat it for us, couldn't they? And the thermostat is locked, so you can't do anything about it. And so I call, and it's ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And it, I let it ring for maybe four or five minutes. I'm thinking, what is going on? And then it, you had to like walk this circuitous route you know, out there. And so I'm like, I'm going to go. We've got a few minutes before the session starts. And the guy says, oh, I'll go with you, Pastor Doug. So we go up to the front desk, and there's a lady, the phone answering lady, reading a book. So I kind of get triggered a little bit. <laughs> And maybe, maybe you wouldn't want to admit I was your pastor. <laughs> I just spoke very directly. Like, but what triggered me was like, who, who's supposed to answer that call, right? I must have been in the bowels of their phone answering system somewhere, just letting it ring on somebody's desk. But, but I, I was a little short with them. So much so that the guy who came with me says, you know, I've known you for over 20 years. I've never seen that side of you, Pastor Doug. I'm like, hmm. Wonder what it looked like. Wonder what it's like to be that lady. So then I came back to the room, and uh, the heat didn't get turned up. So you know, 45 minutes later or so, I go back out there, and I'm like, "Hey, do you think you could turn the heat up?" 
And she's like, well, I've got to call into the maintenance guy, into the second maintenance guy, and even the owner, because they have to do it from their phones. I'm thinking the hotel, okay, never mind. So I might not have been the best witness the second time either. But I want you to know that when the heat came on, I went back and said, I am sorry for being so grumpy with you. Because this is what we are, right? That even on our best of days, we feel entitled to heat in rooms. And, um, and, and we can get short, right? And, and I, like what, uh, uh, I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about, uh, about Christians. Because I think we have a tendency, we always want to put the best face on, we always want to like... And, and sometimes we don't actually enter into the fellowship God would have for us because we want the fellowship of the saints, but we don't want to tell everybody that we're sinners. We don't want to have fellowship of the sinners. Sometimes some of the, the best fellowship I've had with brothers is when we sit around and we admit who we are, right? Or I remember I, I would go to AA meetings with a, a friend and I wasn't allowed to talk because I wasn't in the program, but I felt a fellowship there that many times is lacking in the church. And, and look what Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as undevout sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be a sinner. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. And the fact is, we're sinners. But Bonhoeffer doesn't leave us there. He says, but it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that confronts us with the truth that says, you are a sinner, great, desperate sinner. Now come as a sinner. That, that you are to God who loves you, who wants you as you are, who does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone, my son. Give, you, give me thine heart. God has come to you to save sinners. Be glad. Is that not beautiful? You know, I grew up in a church, uh, the Lutheran church, with the red hymnal, and every week we would say this. And for some reason, we, we did Shakespearean English because God speaks Shakespearean English. <laughs> oh, most merciful God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities, which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve your temporal, earthly, and eternal punishment. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't get this next word. But I, I used to think it was hardly, I'm not really sorry for them, but I'm hardly sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. You know, you know that's like fully, you know, hardly, like I'm full, my full heart is sorry for them and I sincerely repent of them and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter suffering and death of thy beloved son, Jesus Christ, be gracious and merciful to me a poor, sinful being, right? So, you know, I Googled this, and there's like a site about like 
people who left the Lutheran church, and they were like bemoaning this confession of sin. And I was kind of surprised, but I kind of get it. I, I couldn't post all the, the ways people responded to this, but one guy said, I feel disgusted reading this. No wonder I had self-confidence, no, no self-confidence, no drive to stick up for myself for years. Instead of reciting positive affirmations, I degraded and insulted myself every Sunday. Gross. Okay, I get this, right? Because if I am in this world and I see this within myself, I want to have a righteousness of my own, right? I want to have a resume. I want the world to look and go, look at his resume, and I want to feel good about myself based on my resume. But you know what happens when you live like that? Somebody's always better. You don't live up to your own standards, right? Imposter syndrome kicks in. When will people find out I'm not as good as I think I am? Or they, you know, like you, like you, had, you live your life up and down. Because as Christians, we sang about it. It's the voice of God. Like we have a righteousness that comes from outside of us that can't be taken away from us. And it gives you buoyancy, right? Because when you fail, you're like, I feel bad, but not that bad because I have a Savior who died for me and loved me and gave his life for me, right? I mean, this, this is how we live the Christian life. We find our... Um, ourself in the words of God. Now, here's what the pastor would say back. And at the end, he would say, your sins are forgiven. And, and you know this, your sins are washed. For every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. You know, this is what that guy's pastor should stand up and say. Yes, you're a poor, miserable sinner, and Jesus loved you so much he died for you, right? I, how much is something worth? Do you ever go on like antique sites? What makes something so valuable? Because idiots are willing to pay that much for it, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Remember Beanie Babies, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, it's worth so much, you know? And how much are you worth? Jesus gave his life, the son of God gave his life for you. That resume is so much better. And the only thing you need is need, right? The only thing you need is need. I like what this guy says. Wait a minute, where did he go? Oh yeah, this is it. Learn much, uh, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settle on you in love and repose in the, his almighty arms. Can you imagine if that's how you lived your life? I was reading this week, and this is not a picture of my Bible because I don't put hearts in it. But, um, but it, I found it online. But look, look at this. He brought me to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. So you confess your sin, and at the same time, you're like, but he delights in me? I mean, can you even get that down into your being, that, that God smiles over you, that he, that he rejoices over you? John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. What made John happy? They, they were walking in the truth, just as they were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, 
Not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is how we know that the elder is John. John only writes like this. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. It's kind of circular. He's saying love, love over and over. But isn't it interesting? He says, I, I find great joy in seeing your children walking in the truth. What brings you joy? Do you ever think about that? What makes you smile? What are the things in your life that bring you joy? You know, grandchildren bring me joy when Gretchen's watching them. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, it's a picture I get and I smile. That's, so that's the, I call it the cage for the 10-year-old. It's a bigger cage, right? 10-month-old. Well, you should put 10-year-old. Okay. Um, so the 10-month-old is in the cage to protect him from the other children, but they went in there too to play with him. And Gretchen sends me the cutest picture. I, I smile at that. I see kids in your arms. I smile at that. I see you walking. Like, that, that brings me joy. Now, there's, all, there's a time for joy and there's a time for sorrow, right? Isn't that what Ecclesiastes says? Like, he says, I see. I'm happy that you're walking in joy. But we also know, like, many of us lost a friend this week, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. And you don't go and... Go, oh, rejoice, but let me tell you, at funerals, you hear laughter, right? You hear laughter. And so Denny went home to be with the Lord, and the services are, uh, service at Wednesday, the calling hours are on Tuesday. And um, three weeks ago, I, I said to him, nice flannel shirt, because he always had great flannel shirts, you know. Um, and the Lord called him home. So there's a time for rejoicing and a, a time for mourning. But, but recently... I started kind of um, being critical of myself, especially it began with me grumbling at the lady at the, uh, at the hotel. And I thought, you know, I've been grumbling some. Have you guys ever grumble? Do you grumble? Like, you know, I think we, we grumble about work or we grumble about friends or family or children or parents or boss or spouse right? Life situation, life isn't giving you what you expected. We, uh, government and politics, oh, the grumbling's kicking in this year. <laughs> Lord have mercy, right? Children, sports, we grumble about sports, we grumble about money, taxes, health, weather, anything else? I was think, wondering, you know, if you got any more things you grumble about. I mean, we grumble all the time. I, I saw this video, um, and this guy says, you know, 77 hours a year are spent grumbling, and they started interviewing, check it out, they interviewed people on the street about what they grumble about at work. Oh, here we go. Oh, you know what? It's not, I guess it's not in there, huh? I put videos in. Did you, did? We had to oh, you had to restart and you lost them. Well, I'll just tell you. <laughs> um, uh, there are two videos that should be in there and you're not getting any of them. Um, <clears throat> So 77 hours, people grumble, and they interviewed, and one guy's like bullying, but my favorite one was one lady said, I don't like it when people eat fish at work. Smells up the whole office. They should outlaw fish at work. And then I think some of their offices, they don't want to like, 
like spend a lot of money so they don't keep the air conditioning very low. So people were complaining about that. But you know, we grumble about so many things. How often do you grumble, right? How, how often does it, do you spend? I found myself grumbling and I thought, oh no. Because this quote from Lewis is stuck in my brain. Hell begins with a grumbling mood. It's very convicting. Always complaining, always blaming others. But you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish to stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it but just a grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing that will be hell unless nipped in the bud. Do you ever think about that? This like, you become one with your grumble. Whew. So I thought, well, what do you do if you're stuck not in joy, but in grumbling? I thought, well, I think you got to go back to the promises of God that whatever you're grumbling about, Romans 8, 28 still stands. And we know that stinky fish at the office will work out for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And James takes it a little bit farther. He says, consider it. Don't feel it. Consider it. Think about it. Think it as joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete, uh, perfect, lacking nothing. So when you're going through a trial, what I did is I made a list of trials I had been through and all the good stuff that came out of them. Like there was a person in the first row last night that is here because of a trial I went through. And I'm like, huh? Had that trial not happened, they wouldn't be here. And I baptized five people from a family last night, and they came because of her, because she invited them to church. And, you know, all the, the whole family got baptized. I'm like, oh, look. And so I started, I made a list. I started giving thanks for that. And I said, here's my grumble. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you work good all, through all things, right? And if, you're, if you want to have a better attitude, make a list. Remember the trials, the things you've been through. Now, younger people, you don't have as much. But older people, you can write a book. And maybe you should, right? And so make a list and start giving thanks for that. And then the second thing I did is, grow, um, oh, um, one of the reasons I'm standing here is years ago when I was in sales, my boss lied to me. And that was the thing that caused me to write a letter to another pastor that brought me to the Cleveland area. Like, like this whole thing, this bad thing that I had to forgive my Christian boss for lying to me is what brought me into the ministry ultimately, right? So God works good through bad things. So make a list and give thanks. But the second thing I think you have to do is, is when the grumble comes to your mind, I think some dopamine can actually get released. And you need to be able to go, maybe you've been a victim, maybe you've been overlooked, maybe, you know, I don't know what it is, but you need something to stop it. And I remember years ago, I was talking to a friend and he was um, very depressed, like so depressed where you don't get out of bed depressed, where it's just like, you're just in bed. And um, 
I go, well, how, how, did, how did you get out? He goes, well, one of the ways is I took a three by five card and I wrote Psalm 23 on one side and I wrote stop in big red letters. Because, you know, when you're depressed, your mind is grumbling about how bad you are many times. And so over and over, and he said, when I would go there, I'd pull it out, stop, right? Flip it over. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes, right? And he would, he would turn his mind off of the self-focus and on to God. And so I'm like, hey, I'm going to go back to writing on three by five cards, the scriptures, uh, you know, every day. And when I start grumbling or I don't like what I'm thinking about, just pull it out and, and start thinking about that scripture for the day, right? I mean, because you can have a great quiet time in the morning, but if you're like me, I forget what I read, right? And you have to, but if you write down some of it on a little three by five card, it'll help, it'll help you stop your grumbling and move you towards joy. So John continues, and this is the last point, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. See it again, right? They, they, they somehow have, have created a new Jesus. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Again, the Bible has like end times, big Antichrist figure, but they also have antichrist as anybody who's against the true Christ. He says, watch yourself so you may not lose what you've worked for and may win full favor. So I want to point out that the deceivers were part of the community. They're part of the church. They were people who worshiped with the people, but somehow they got smarter. And they're like, oh, I know what really happened, right? And they moved on. Because look what he says, anyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching. So they're like, oh, I used to believe this way, but now I've progressed and I believe this way, right? They're like, they've moved ahead and, not, and, and this is happening way back when, and John is like, no, 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 just hold on to the basic teachings of who Jesus is. We confess the Apostles' Creed. When you move away from that, you're moving away from who Jesus is. Right? Do you see that? And, and it started a long time ago. Uh, and then he goes on, anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So he puts his hand out and you go, whoop, right? High five and you leave him hanging. Right? Is that what he's saying? For whoever greets him takes part in the wicked world. They greeted each other with a kiss, by the way, back then. Think we should uh, bring that back, Christian? Um, so what's going on here? It's, it's more than just a simple greeting. So back then, you'd come into a community. And, and let's say Tim is from an, another community, but he knows people in this town. And so Tim writes a letter. Hey, Doug's a good guy, right? I vouch for him. And he says, go to Chloe's house, right? Give her the letter. I know Chloe. And so I go to Chloe's house. I give her the letter. Oh, I know Tim. You know, I vouch for Tim. You know, Doug's a good guy. And so they welcome me into the house. They, they, they give me their clout. I'm no, then I have clout in the city. What I say, what I do has respect because I've been welcomed into Chloe's house. Now I'm part of the community. Tim did it. Do you see what's happening? And he's like, don't do that. 
You've got deceivers coming in. They might bring, bring a, a letter, but if that's what they believe, do not give them clout. Do not welcome them into the community. Don't kiss them as if they're one of you because they're not, and what they're teaching is poisoned to the church. And you know what's kind of fascinating? John is all about love. I mean, you read these letters. He's like, love, 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 and all of a sudden here he's like, have nothing to do with them. I think that's loving too. Right? I think it's love. Have nothing to do with them is loving also. Because there are times when, when you have to stand up for truth and it doesn't feel like love, but it's just the way it is, right? I, I watch this thing online, which we won't watch. And uh, this guy has like a, a meeting, a, a Holy Ghost meeting, a tent meeting going, going on across from his church. And he's a pastor, and the prophetess, who's going to be, do, be there for seven days, calls that pastor up. And she starts, like, prophesying over him. And then she gives him the mic. Now, she's saying, oh, he's full of truth, and he's a bridge builder and all this stuff. But then he gets the mic, and he goes, you know, we need to be kind and gracious and loving and all this. And then we need to be deeply in prayer that God would protect everybody from the false words of this false prophet. Because if you emphasize anything but Jesus, you're missing. And then they pull the mic away and kick him out. And then the prophetess didn't have nice things to say about him, which is funny because the Old Testament's, because if what she prophesied earlier were true, right, you know, um, and it's a corrective because the gospel is about Jesus, and when we try to make it about anything else, right, we, we start, we, we miss the wrong emphasis, right? And, and there will be times in our lives where this pastor stood up in front of this whole group. He didn't plan to, but she called him up, right? But where we have to speak the truth in love, and it may not always feel good. It may not always be right. But this is part of the life of believers. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that the only way we can have confidence to speak the truth in love is back at the first point where your voice defines us. Not the voice of the world, but your voice. That we are your children, blood-bought and Lord, if the worst thing that happened, happened to Jesus, turned out for our good, the things that we can grumble about can also be reasons for thanksgiving, things we can count joy, and a big thank you for that too, Lord. And I just want to again ask for comfort and grace on the Halligan family. Thank you that absent from the body, present with the Lord, that Denny is with you, but I know there's a lot of broken hearts and a lot, of, uh, a lot of the family will miss him so dearly. And uh, we say thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.